We read in Zechariah, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Our reading this morning will be of no surprise. It's one of the gospel accounts of uh, Palm Sunday, taken from Mark's gospel. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why are you doing this, tell them, the Lord needs it, and we'll send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, what are you doing untying that colt? They answered, as Jesus had told them to. When, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went to the temple. He looked around at everything. But since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. I thought it would be helpful at this point of service to, to read a Palm Sunday poem by Kay Hoffman. If you wish, you might like to shut your eyes so that you can reflect on the words. No obligation. They waved palm branches as he passed and hailed him as their king. Yet they knew not of the sorrow the coming week would bring. The glad acclaim would soon give way to jeers and mockery. In Pilate's court, he'd be condemned to a cross on Calvary. But Jesus knew he was the price in God's redemptive plan. The sacrificial lamb come down to die for sins of man. The centuries have passed And still, he seeks those lost in sin, pleading with unyielding hearts to repent and follow him. 
On this day we shout our praise. Oh, let us not delay the palm-strewn path of long ago still leads to him today. Let's pray. We all have our own perspective on things, our own way of looking at life. Um, I'm going to show you a picture that will probably be very familiar to, to you. Um, it, uh, perhaps we could have it up. We can have a look. Now let's just do a quick straw poll. Just put up your hand if what you see there is a, a young, elegant lady. Okay. There's quite a few. Now put up your hand if you see an older lady sort of crouched over slightly like that. Okay. Pretty much at equal measure. Hands up if you can see both, and you can keep switching between the two. I want you to on. Very good. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So we can look at the same picture, the same picture, but and yet see different things. Or we might be able to see the different things and, and switch between the two. Sometimes we can be at the same event and yet have quite quite different perspectives on it. I, I always remember when I was younger, my brother and my father having a discussion on the Sunday about Horsham Baptist's match that had gone on on the Saturday. And uh, my brother would usually conclude with the words that I think Dad must have been at a different match because we remember it entirely differently. Their perspectives were so very different. Um, This next slide illustrates this idea. Same event, and yet quite, quite different perspectives. Unlike this one, Both perspectives are quite accurate. If you can see that. It strikes me, it strikes me that sometimes, uh, to fully appreciate something, we need to examine the different perspectives and in so doing, appreciate the whole all the more. There is value in stepping back to see the wider view and uh, to appreciate that bigger picture. And I'd like to do that with the event that we're celebrating, obviously, today of Palm Sunday. This is one of those events that all four Gospels record, but each has their own very different perspective. And so, in turn, we find we have a rich tapestry of what happened and how it impacted on the different parties involved. What can we learn about ourselves and God working in our lives from these different Palm Sunday perspectives. Let's first start with Mark, Mark 11. This is the account, obviously, that I read earlier. I selected this one to read as it is arguably the most straightforward. Mark's gospel is the one with the reputation for being the most blunt and direct. Its purpose isn't necessarily to attain literary excellence, but more importantly, to communicate truth. One writer puts it this way. He says, Mark is a virtual first-century teacher's handbook, a summary of facts, with all, save what was deemed significant, ruthlessly pruned. 
And as such, this book for the common man makes clear who Jesus is. He is the king who has come to establish his kingdom. There's an assurance in Jesus in this account. He is in control and knows exactly what needs to be done. His disciples, we read in verse 2 of chapter 11, are given a faith mission. They need to step out in faith. Notice it's not alone, but in fellowship with another. And they follow Christ's instructions. I'm sure they must have been quite emboldened by finding the cult tied just as Jesus said it would be. Now, whether this was pre-planned by Jesus or divinely known, the disciples can be assured that when they step out in faith, Jesus is already ahead of them. I personally take quite some encouragement from that. I don't like doing things that scare me or are uncertain. And stepping out in faith to do what God is prompting can be a a real challenge. So let me at this point just encourage you to hold on to the assurance that Jesus knows the detail and is ahead of you. In Mark... Jesus is given the red carpet treatment by the people of Jerusalem. Clothes are strewn on the road in a way that was honouring to him. They were treating him in the manner of a Jewish conqueror being greeted on their return to their capital by shouting their praises, Hosanna, save us. They treat him as one of David's line who has come to re-establish an earthly kingdom. The excitement is palatable. This is then, it seems to me, in quite some contrast to what happens next. A rather anticlimactic window on domesticity. In verse 11 we read, Jesus entered Jerusalem and went to the temple. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. It's another small piece of, of Mark's sort of factual information to reassure us of its accuracy and credibility. At the end of the day, Jesus needed somewhere to stay at night. Matthew has a rather different perspective on this event. He was writing for the early church, which was initially obviously made up of Jewish Christians. Because of this, Matthew is really interested in showing how Jesus is the fulfilment of the Old Testament. And such, he records this event in a deliberate stage demonstration of Jesus' messianic claim. Now, Jesus would have walked from Galilee, that's nearly about, nearly, about 70 miles, so he didn't really need to have a donkey just for those last couple of miles. He did so as a symbolic act to illustrate prophetic words, words that we read earlier to use in Zechariah. See your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey. Now, Jesus, Matthew seems to infer, is using the rite of, and I apologise for my poor pronunciation here amongst, for the scholars amongst us, angeria, something like that. It's this idea of requisitioning, which was an action for, uh, that could be done by royalty. If the, if the king needs something then they can require it. It was also something that a rabbi could claim 
But um, this was not only a nod to his kingship, but it's also an emphasis on the humility of Jesus. What he requisitions here is a donkey and not some beautiful war horse. He is indeed the Messiah, but his route will not lead to the vitriolic show of force that the crowd seem to be so excitably anticipating, but instead lead to suffering and ultimately that sacrifice and sacrificial love through his death. When the Magi came, back to Christmas again, when the Magi came, looking for the king of the Jews in chapter 2 of Matthew, it says not only was Herod, but all Jerusalem was troubled. And here we see again in verse uh, 10 of chapter 21, the king's arrival has meant that the whole city was stirred. Now apparently, the word being used there literally means shaken. And from it we have our word of seismic. Jesus' presence sends shockwaves across the people. The whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? Now it struck me that the question sort of has echoes of the disciples. And uh, when earlier on in um, Matthew, is recorded the time when Jesus calms the storm. The disciples' response is, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Oh my word, Jesus, who are you? Wow, I am just overwhelmed by your presence, by witnessing what you can do. And surely this should be our response on a Palm Sunday to be similarly blown away by who Jesus is and what he came to do and is doing still today in our lives. Now, John, he has his own perspective on the triumphal entry, which is no surprise, as his likely audience uh, was those Jews that had moved wider and further afield. His aim is to share an evangelistic message, which will bring the readers to a belief that Jesus is the Christ. Now, whilst we have in John the familiar crowd and disciples who don't fully understand the nature of Jesus' kingship as they greet him, we also have an additional insight into the hostile religious leaders. In the previous chapter, the chief priests and Pharisees begin to plot Christ's death. What are we accomplishing, they ask, if we let him go on like this? Everyone will believe in him, and then the Romans will come and take away our place and our nation. What matters to them is threatened. Rather than seek God's direction, they want to protect what they know, what feels safe. The situation is made worse when Jesus then raises Lazarus from the dead. The Jerusalem crowd now cannot wait to see Jesus. They've heard about this miraculous sign. 
The Pharisees are now really worried. In verse 19, we read, See, this is getting us nowhere. Strikes me that it's all too easy to be a little bit too like the Pharisees and uh, keep things as we want them, as we want them. And in so doing, be obstructive of God's plans. We don't feel safe. It means letting God have control. And with that comes a sense of uncertainty. It's much easier to try and keep things as they are. Don't make changes. Don't make waves. Safe is good. We too can be in danger of concluding, see, this is getting us nowhere. The irony is that John records that the Pharisees go on to say in verse 19, look how the whole world goes after him. God offered his people the opportunity to be a part of something new and exciting. They chose to reject his grace. We too need to guard against being so keen to keep things safe and as we want them, that we miss out on God's exciting plan for us. And so finally to Luke. The gospel written for those not Jews, the Gentile community. Luke is keen to show the wideness of God's mercy. It isn't just for the people of Israel. His kingdom extends much further and includes more than we could imagine. And here we have Luke's fresh perspective. This time it's not with the crowd, highlighted by Matthew, who are overwhelmed with excitement at the prospect of who Jesus might be, or the Pharisees that John records, who will do whatever they can to obstruct and derail Christ's purpose. But instead, it is from whom this whole event is centred upon, Jesus. In all the jubilant excitement and fearful hostility to the possible consequences, Jesus has a very personal response. He weeps. He weeps for a people that he knows will reject his message. He weeps because they will fail to recognize in his coming the gracious offer of starting afresh in his kingdom. He weeps because it is the attitude of the Pharisees that will prevail. The contrast between the joy and exuberance of Palm Sunday and Christ's comprehension of the response to events to come makes it all the more acutely tragic. Part of me thinks, in a way, he weeps still. For there are those who he would have in his kingdom, longs to have in his kingdom, warmly and openly invites, but stubbornness and fearfulness of letting Christ be king in their lives prevents them from fully experiencing his loving grace. A silly story to end. It was Palm Sunday, 
But because of a sore throat, five-year-old Johnny stayed home from church with a babysitter. When the family returned home, they were carrying several palm branches. Johnny asked them what they were for. People, his father explained, people held them over Jesus' head as he walked by. Wouldn't you know it, Johnny fumed, the one Sunday I don't go and he shows up. (laughs) Now Johnny clearly misunderstood his father, but sometimes we can be guilty of not seeing the big picture and missing out. We've looked at different perspectives from each of the different Gospels. And ultimately, the Palm Sunday picture as a whole is this. Jesus, the King, shows up. He showed up on that first Palm Sunday and he's shown up today. And what's your response to his presence? Do you respond by saying, like the Pharisees in John, well, this is getting me nowhere, and continue to work in a way that suits your own needs? Insist on worshipping, living your life that meets your wants? Or do you cause Christ to weep over your own unwillingness to accept him as king and sovereign lord and bow before his will? Or might you be like the crowd in Matthew who say, who is this? And allow Jesus to have a seismic effect on your life this Easter. But unlike the crowd that had forsaken Jesus within the week and bade for his life and influence to end, you continue steadfastly throughout the coming days, months and years to acknowledge that Jesus is King and you are his this Palm Sunday and for eternity. Amen. Amen.